To make a donation, visit biblicallycorrectpodcast.org slash donate. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. What is the true purpose of the church? Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom, y'all. This is the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I'm a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. What is the purpose of the church? Not the building or the worship services or the programs and events, but the people, the church. What is its purpose? Why does it exist? Is it to love Adonai your God and serve him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? That would make sense since that's obviously our purpose as followers of Messiah. But is that the goal and purpose of the church, or rather the called forth, which is the literal translation of the biblical concept of church? Could it be that we also have another purpose, a collective purpose, that serves and supplies our individual calling as believers and followers of Yeshua? This is what I want to look at in today's episode, the purpose of the called forth what it is, both inside and outside the believer's gathering, and why our functioning together as Yeshua's body is so important for the fulfillment of each one of our lives as followers of Messiah. Now, as I taught in previous episodes, the called forth is the people, not places. We're meant to walk together in Messiah, in communities and gatherings, functioning as one organic organism not an artificial organization, not limiting ourselves to static and routine weekly meetings, but coming together naturally, repeatedly, and whenever we can. Yet the way most people think of church is as buildings and worship services, in which case the goal of the church meeting is obvious, to praise and worship God and to hear the teaching of His Word. And while there's unquestionably a time and place for these very important things— That's not the primary pattern and purpose for called-forth gatherings that we see in Scripture. On the contrary, the most succinct description of the true purpose of the gathering of the believers is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, which has already come up multiple times in this series. Beginning in verse 23, it says, May we hold fast to the unwavering profession of the hope, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and to good actions, not forsaking the gathering of ourselves together, as is the custom of certain people, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day coming near. So this is describing nothing like what we normally see in our churches and congregations and believers' gatherings. The exhortation comes in the context of holding fast to our profession of faith and hope. He doesn't want us to lose hope in the promise, the present, and the future that we have in Messiah. And the writer is encouraging us to take action in this regard, not for our own sake, not so that we may feel more spiritual or confident or closer to God, but for the sake of one another. He tells us to provoke each other to love and good actions to contend with each other, to challenge each other, to act and behave in the ways of love and good. And he says to exhort one another in this, 
to encourage each other, to warn each other, to not let go of the faith and the actions that are dictated by that faith. And the physical setting in which all of this is tied together, not exclusively but implicitly, is in the gathering of ourselves together. This is why we're told to not forsake the gathering of the believers. Because to fail to gather is to forsake not the worship and teaching that takes place in a building, but to forsake the provocation and exhortation from one another for the effective building up of the body of Messiah. This is the purpose of the gathering of the believers, for the building up of the called forth. And by building up, we don't just mean you being strengthened in the assurance and hope that you have in Yeshua. We're talking about a building up that refuses to allow you to continue in your sins and selfish fleshly behavior, which in turn makes you personally, and therefore all of us collectively, weak in our faith, our walk, and our testimony for Messiah. Because the writer goes on in verses 26 and 27, after saying to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together, as is the custom of certain people, but to exhort one another, and so much the more as you see the day of Adonai's judgment coming near, he continues, for if we keep willfully sinning after the receiving of the full knowledge of the truth, then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain kind of fearful expectation of judgment and fiery zeal about to devour the opposers. So the gathering of the believers through our provoking and exhorting one another for the building up of the called forth is so that we will not be brought down by our continual willful sin, which nullifies Yeshua's sacrifice and puts us in danger of judgment and destruction as ones who oppose God. This is the building up that we lose. This is why the body of Messiah today is so weak and riddled with sin and unbiblical values. When all the provoking and exhorting we get is from the safety of our anonymous pews and screens administered by the specially anointed few who exhort us from a distance. Rather than our gatherings being small-scale and multi-directional, in which we're all facing one another, everyone interacting with each other, challenging and exhorting and lifting up one another, using our various gifts to sharpen and strengthen each other toward a faithful walk in Messiah, we've instead been satiated on mid- or large-scale, unidirectional, anonymous ministry, where our personal interaction is mainly with the back of each other's heads, passively receiving generic instruction from professional clergy with no targeted peer pressure to conform to God's Word, no accountability to respond to the truth, and no consequences for not changing our ways. The purpose of the called forth believers gathering isn't to meet together just for any individual spiritual purpose, biblical or otherwise, to praise, to worship, to study the Bible, to pray for our country or for Israel, but to gather for the specific purpose of the collective building up of Yeshua's body, not the few to the many, but explicitly one to another. As Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, For as in one individual's body we each have many members, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, the many, are one body in Messiah, and each one members of one another. 
And since we are having different gifts according to the unmerited favor that was given to us, if prophecy, use it according to the proportion of faith, or service, use it in the serving, or he who is teaching, use it in the teaching, or he who is exhorting, use it in the exhortation, he who is giving in generosity, he who is leading in diligence, he who is doing loving kindness in cheerfulness. And as we use our different gifts, not for ourselves, but for the common good, Paul says in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, but speaking the truth in love, may we grow up in all things into him who is the head, Messiah, from whom the whole body grows, being fitted together and united through the support of every joint, according to the proper working of each single part. The growing up of the body produces the building up of itself in love. And since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, seek that you may abound in them for the building up of the called forth. This is what the gathering of the believers is meant to facilitate among the called forth. Each of us using our spiritual and natural gifts for the edification of one another, supporting one another, being fitted together and united as members of one another. Each single part, each one of us, not passive, but active, working properly toward maturity in Messiah and the collective building up of ourselves as Yeshua's called forth. We're to exhort one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, serve one another, carry the burdens of one another, diligently oversee one another, confess our sins to one another. In other words, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, each one build up the other one. So where the called forth has long been conditioned to box itself in with buildings and worship services and biblical-ish lectures and ministerial performances and self-oriented audiences, the called forth gathering, according to scripture, is depicted as fully participatory, organic, active, others-oriented, not just sharing the same intellectual or theological ideas, but having the same heart, the same concerns the same direction, the same purpose. Yet the point of the called forth gathering isn't simply to create a bubble of personal ministry one to another that starts and stops with the meeting time. On the contrary, this level of interaction between all the members of the body fostered within the gathering is then meant to be carried outside the gathering, overflowing into our everyday lifestyle and daily walk with one another for the building up of Yeshua's called forth community. And the ideal for such a community is captured for us in the aftermath of the events of Acts chapter 2, following the giving of the Holy Spirit and the salvation of 3,000 Jews in a single day. Beginning in verse 42, Luke gives us another glimpse into how the earliest believers would gather and the kind of community experience that such interaction generated. And they were continuing steadfastly in the teaching of the emissaries, the apostles, and in the sharing or fellowship, in the breaking of the bread, and in the prayers. And reverent fear was coming on every soul, for many wonders and also signs were being done through the emissaries. And all those believing were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their properties and their possessions, and were dividing them up to all, as anyone had need. Also, 
continuing daily with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were sharing of food in rejoicing and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the master was adding together those being saved. This is what the first living, breathing, called forth community looked like. They continued steadfastly in the teaching of the emissaries, which we now also have in the scriptures. They continued in the sharing or fellowship, sharing their faith together in Messiah and sharing the Messiah in themselves with each other. They broke bread together, meaning that they shared their meals. They ate food with one another and they also prayed together. And it says that all those believing were together and had all things in common. They were with each other constantly, as it says, continuing daily with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And they had all things in common, meaning that they shared with each other, not just spiritually, but physically, materially, even to the extent of selling their properties and possessions in order to meet any needs within the community. Yet when we look at this amazing unity, selflessness, and shared voluntary responsibility, it seems like a total fantasy to imagine such connection in today's world of seclusion and self-orientation, much less having acts to expectations for our own local believing communities. But if our reaction to this passage is to simply rule it out as that was then, this is now, as a reality that we can't even hope to come close to, then we've already failed at truly being the body of Messiah. Because look at what those deep communal bonds and daily interaction led to. They had favor with all the people, including non-believers. And every day, the master was adding together those being saved. If the purpose of the gathering of the believers is for the building up of the called forth, then the purpose of the called forth community is to collectively build to multiply the body of Messiah. What the pattern of the Acts 2 community teaches us is that a community in which all the members share the same scriptural beliefs, have unity of the heart and soul, hold each other accountable before God, feel responsible for one another, help to meet each other's needs, and are in the habit of doing life together, as it were, being an extended family, that's the kind of community that God can use for the effective sharing of the good news and the making of true disciples. This is why we should hardly be surprised or confused that the more isolated and self-focused believers in Messiah have become, the more colossally ineffective we've collectively been in making disciples who have biblical beliefs and having our children grow up and continue in the faith, to say nothing of making new disciples and bringing them into the fold. By focusing so heavily on the individual, almost to the exclusion of the concept of community, we've cut ourselves off from our purpose as the called forth of God. Because while the gathering is meant to build up the called forth, and the community is supposed to multiply the body, the ultimate purpose of the called forth is to stand like a fortress between death and life, and to be a living monument and conduit to Yeshua and his eternal salvation. This is the purpose of Yeshua's called forth, as the Master himself declares in response to Peter's profession of faith in Matthew chapter 16. To the revelation that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, 
Yeshua proclaims in verses 18 and 19, And I also say to you that you are a rock, and upon this rock I will build my called forth. And the gates of Sheol, the grave, the underworld, will not prevail against it. I give to you the keys of the reign of the heavens. The profession of faith that Yeshua is the Messiah has power and fortitude. The called forth is supposed to be built upon that unmovable rock, unshakable, unbendable, able to fling wide the gates of heaven because it can withstand every assault by the forces of death and the grave. And while the power of the name of the Messiah Yeshua is forever unassailable, we, as the called forth, through our continual collective sin and weakness and compromise and disconnection from one another, we nullify our own authority over the power of death because, as Hebrews 10 already showed us, if we keep willfully sinning after the receiving of the full knowledge of the truth, then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain kind of fearful expectation of judgment and fiery zeal. Not only do we place our own souls in danger, but we as the called forth become a stumbling block to others, invalidating the message of salvation through our failure as Messiah's collective representative. The strength and validity of our testimony for Yeshua depends not just on our individual convictions and behavior, but whether we as a unified, cooperative body are revealing and representing the person, power, and message of Yeshua through both our words and our actions. The way we treat one another, walk with one another, care for one another, and demonstrate that we are together members of one another. These broadcast the truth and reality of Messiah that when you see us as one united body, you are seeing him. This is what the master is teaching us in John 13, verses 34 and 35, when he says, A new command I give to you, that you love one another, as I loved you, that you also love one another. In this will all know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. And in chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, he also says, And the glory that you have given to me, Father, I have given to them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be perfected into one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. This love, a love that leads to perfect oneness, isn't imagined or cerebral or ethereal, but is literally real. It's meant to be tangible, physical, material, and to move us to be self-sacrificial, with our time, our resources, our hearts, our souls, and our whole selves for the building up of one another for the purpose of collectively representing the Messiah Yeshua to the world. As the called forth of God, we were never meant to operate independently of one another, but to be fitted together and united through the support of every joint that we may properly function together for a divine purpose far greater than ourselves. So when we gather together as the called forth, it shouldn't be for our own passive, anonymous edification, but for the selfless, interactive, 
face-to-face building up of one another. Then we have to carry that strengthening of our faith and challenging of our weaknesses back into our daily lives. We need to depend upon and build the called forth community together, holding each other accountable to the teachings of God's word and seeking the ideals of daily fellowship and having all things in common. Only then can we be the perfectly united called forth who God can finally use as a living monument, a rock of righteous testimony, a conduit that no longer hinders the revelation and representation of the true Yeshua to everyone and to whom he can once again add together daily those being saved. Let us hold fast to the unwavering profession of hope and consider how to provoke one another to love and good actions. Let us gather to build up. Let us become one so that we may multiply. Let us fulfill the true purpose of Yeshua's collective called forth. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Word Ministries and MJMI through your much-needed donations. And of course, don't forget to rate, review, share, follow, or subscribe to the podcast to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching, or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, shoot me an email at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting a right, and for instruction that is in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom.